This week on Bellwether Hub, we had the absolute joy and pleasure to share the company with Irish entrepreneur and coach Catherine Norris. Catherine is going to tell you how she articulates her vision and the necessity to articulate your vision and to make sure that your organization will get to the next level. She has an amazing background, everything from education to law to psychology to anthropology, you name it, she's done it, and she has an amazing perspective that you're going to find valuable this week on Bellwether Hub. I'm Jim Frawley, and this is Bellwether. Welcome to Bellwether Hub. Thank you for joining yet again. We are here in my Irish month. I call it the Irish month where we have these phenomenal guests. I'm finding these bellwethers throughout Ireland that happen to be in New York. And uh, we're hearing some incredible and amazing stories. And these people are really influencing change and they're doing amazing work. Uh, first, we had Marcino Muller. Uh, then we just last week had Patrick McAndrew. And this week, you can't really have a coaching podcast without having the Irish coach. So that's what we did. We brought in the Irish coach. Catherine Norris is our guest today. And she is. She's uh, an entrepreneur. She's an executive coach. She has a background in law. She has a background in teaching. She has uh, just a very interesting and dynamic story from many different uh, angles. And and her work uh, with understanding psychology and the way we think about things. I know as a lot of change happens. What she is going to tell us is going to be helpful for many, many people in terms of how to adapt and how to prepare yourself for many different things and just lessons learned. So that's great. So with that, I would like to welcome Catherine Norris to Bellwether Hub. Catherine, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Jim. Tell us a little bit about you and why you're here. Where do I start? <laughs> I could give you a novel on where to start just in the conversation. The conversations we have, Catherine and I have been chatting for a while, always take – when I was doing my preparation for Catherine on where to take this conversation, each conversation we talked about went in a very different direction. So this is going to be tons of fun. Tell me about – we know that your background as an entrepreneur. This is where I really – I'm just going to get right to the heart of the matter. Right. Your background as an entrepreneur, you've started a dance school. You've done all kinds of work. Uh, you've done work in the tourism industry in Ireland. You've done a lot of this stuff. One of the things you told me, just kicking it off, is uh, you have to constantly communicate your vision. Right. And this is one of, you know, as a business owner myself and building a business and making it relevant, this is one of the greatest uh, little nuggets of information that I've ever heard put into a soundbite. You always have to communicate your vision. Tell me about what that means and, and the story that came behind that from your dance school and entrepreneurship. Um. Firstly, I suppose I was very lucky growing up because my parents were very entrepreneurial. My dad had his own business. Um, both my mother and my father started as educators and then both moved into business ventures. So I had a great um, example or role models. Um, even before that, my grandmother owned um, the local cinema in Galway in Kalimer. And so it's it's almost, it was in the blood. And uh, when I got to university, I saw that um, 
people did not have the opportunity to uh, experiment with any type of dance form. So it's something that is actually quite elitist in Ireland uh, because you have to pay an awful lot of money to go to dance classes. And when I got to university, because my parents had sent me and dance had given me so much growing up in terms of, I think, even brain development as as well as movement, well-being, creativity, innovation, um, that I wanted to start something. Now, it was nerve-wracking, but uh, I could see it stretch before me. I knew that it was something that people would want to do, even though I didn't really have the acumen or the skills to start something. What I did was I took the first step. Um, I, I knew it would work. Uh, again, I, don't, I didn't quite know how, but it was just take one step, take another, take another, have courage. Um, and within a year, we had 900 people signed up um, I was angling for six different dance styles to be funded in the university. I had to self-fund it myself um, through Profit Ventures um, for the four years uh, that I was there. That kept me on my toes. I was studying law at the same time. And um, I think it, it was very successful very quickly. And when you're working with other people and then when there are an awful lot of people involved, I suppose in hindsight, what I realised or I think what I gained the most from was that if you don't continuously articulate your vision of what you're doing to everybody involved, then the team can begin to segment. So this was really this was a really important takeaway in the rest of my life going forward. And there's two aspects to what you just said. One, which I'm going to explore in a minute, is you knew it was going to be successful. And a lot of people, when they're venturing out, they don't know it's going to be successful. But you had that feeling. And and we're going to go back to that in a second. But the other one is the segmentation. This dance school is still around. It's it's celebrating the 20th anniversary. Which is impressive. So communicating this vision, how did you change as you evolved? You know, were you able to recognize in the moment or is this more of a hindsight saying, oh, I should have done that? Or, you know, how does this impact communicating your vision as you're creating this coaching business and creating uh, something in tourism and doing all of these other things? Right. Communicating vision is beyond just necessarily your entrepreneurship ventures. Yeah, I, I think it's, um, I think now that I work in, in coaching psychology, um, it's, it's a very difficult thing to do in the day-to-day running of any business uh, to continuously keep that in mind. Um, and yet that's why people bring coaches in to, um, to remind them that this is actually really, really important if you want everybody to be on board uh, with what you're trying to achieve and also so that they can c- create their own meaning within that because that's precisely what they're doing. Everybody creates meaning in what they do or they want to create meaning. And if if people don't have an idea as to how the vision is moving or changing, and it changes all the time. So, you know, when people have these vision statements in their companies and they're just left there and there's dust on them, I mean, they really should be revised by leadership teams and management teams every three months to six months, in my opinion. That's a lot of, uh, that's a lot of change. But I guess the, the world is changing just as quickly. And so it's it's similar to, you know, when you talk with people, maybe in a one-on-one coaching engagement, you know, the self-doubt that people get is when we don't have the details in front of us, we fill it with our own. And I guess it's the same thing with your business. Mm. When you don't articulate the vision and fill in the gaps, other people will fill in with their assumptions on where they think it should go. And that will segment out your industry, your business into different ways, into ways that, that may not be as productive or profitable as you want. 
Well, I remember hearing there's a brilliant anthropologist and, you know, she, she brought the term siloed um, into into the business world. And, um, you know, from having come from this arts background, having come from studying anthropology, she was able to understand and use leverage that information, that kind of creative information to understand what, like, let's, for example, what happened to Sony um, and how Apple then came to the fore. So... It, you know, they segmented. That was the big problem. That's the problem with silos. And, you know, it, it's really imp- that that level of communication, even though it's it's really hard work. Um, this is in today's world, in a, in a world where change is happening very quickly. Uh, we're, un- it's uncer- we're uncertain. We're living in a complex information age. Um, that kind of interdependence and collaboration is vitally important and it has to come from the lead from the leadership down. And it has to come from the leadership down. And depending on the size of the organization, it takes time to communicate it through the ranks. Right. So if you're doing this every two quarters with 100,000 employees, is it, you know, making these types of change and, and announcing the, this slight change to vision and communicating what's important today, um, does, is that able to become a routine? Is it is it possible to get a team of people, your communications people within your organization to say, this is our quarterly vision statement and this is, you know, has, as it goes through to make sure that the person on the front line of, a, of an organization uh, has the same mindset as the people sitting on the top floor in the C-suite? Well, I, I would – my answer to that would be that if you don't have that process in place – then possibly you need a coaching consultant to come in <laughs> and help you develop it. I'm you know, going to have you sell all my business. This is going to be amazing. <laughs> Definitely it, hire coaches. You know, it's simple, but at the same time, it's hard. You know, it's a, it's a, it's not it's a process that you need to put in place. Absolutely, and there there are huge. You know, people in business tell me all the time they have huge attrition rates. So you know, the, the next generation, um, you know, one of the most important things for them coming to work. And I've educated, you know, the, as an educator, um, the people I first started educating are in their early 20s. So I have a fundamental understanding of, of how they learn and how they think because I've created that generation at home in Ireland anyway. And that is what they want. They want to be part of a bigger vision. They want to have meaning. And that's what we have raised them to do. And it's important to note, too, that this doesn't – when I think back to corporate – Vision statements, creating a vision statement took two to three to four quarters for everyone to get aligned and say these are the words and they're doing all this editing. It doesn't have to be that big. We're not fundamentally changing the entire organization necessarily in terms of making an adjustment on a vision statement from one quarter to the next to the next. It doesn't have to be this big, massive, bureaucratic process in order to make sure that everybody's aligned. Absolutely not, no. It is the leadership team, you know, we know as well from, you know, what makes a constructive meeting, how many people should be involved in a constructive meeting, you know, very few, in fact. And then and then you bring it down to all your management teams. And, you know, if your management are doing a good job, you know, they're no longer looking anyway, like performance appraisal, they're looking at performance development and the creation of a coaching culture. So you your management should know that's their job is to know how people are aligning with the culture of the company. And how do you start to – so making sure that this vision is traveling through. It's almost like a game of telephone mm. where it just gets completely bastardized before it gets down to the bottom. How do you communicate a vision statement in a way that could be told three steps away 
and people are still on board. How do you tap into – because I feel like it's an, you have to tap into someone's emotional set mm. in order for them to truly understand it and to truly embody it and to truly say, you know what, if integrity is going to be part of our vision statement, what does integrity mean to each individual that's not in the C-suite and how do they manifest that into their daily work? Is there a way to creatively do this so that people can get it just as they get it with with – whatever kind of language you use. Well, exactly. It comes down to languaging, languaging your, your management style. So I think that, that can be, that's very subtle, but it's also very powerful. So how, how people are articulating that, you know, uh, you know how, how that process works, it, it can be, it's tailored really. Every company is going to be different because every company is going to have a different vision. So it's, it's all about what are the fundamentals what are the fundamentals of your vision? You know, that's that's what you need to get get right, and and then who, how are you onboarding everybody in that process? You know how 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 do people come in? How do they start? Um, and then if you have teams that are changing very very quickly, how exactly are you appraising um, people who are involved in that work before they move on to the next team? So it all all of that they're all communication points. They're all opportunities to see how is the person. Um, fitting in with the company culture or the company vision, whatever language you put on it. And so this will go back to – so I want to go back to your statement on I knew it was going to work mm. because I feel like articulating a vision and knowing it's going to work is very similar to being an entrepreneur and launching a business. Right. I know that feeling you get mm. where you just start something and you just say – I know this is going to work, right? Mm. No matter who laughs at you when you go to do it, no matter who says that's crazy, in your mind, and you're not a lunatic, you just you just know it. You say, yep, this is how it's going to work. Mm. Tell me more about that feeling of I just know that this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Well, I, I think as an, you know, as an educator, it has been very important to me to be able to um, create little human beings because I worked with children um, who are able to um, understand their instincts, to listen to what goes on internally and to to understand that all, if you enjoy something, that the likelihood is that somebody else is going to enjoy it. So that's fundamentally, that was the, the starting block for me. And it was also, it was, for me, it was an emotional decision. That's not to say that it's going to be an emotional decision for everybody. Um, I knew what I got out of it and what motivated me was that I wanted to create something. I felt grateful that I had had that opportunity. And I was slightly outraged that this opportunity did not exist for other people when they got to university, where there was a plethora of all different types of societies and clubs and opportunities. And yet this fundamental, like the fundamental building block of life is movement. We all move. We move in a certain way when we're sad. We we hunch our shoulders. That is the fundamental building block of dance. So I, I knew that people would want to experiment with dance. Especially in the Irish culture. It's such a big part of Irish culture that it would be. But when you talk about, I know this is going to be successful right. because I want it. I know other people are going to want it. That's, I feel like, Seeing an opportunity, business opportunity, right? There are no burger mm. joints in this neighborhood. I'm going to build a burger joint. Okay. But then the fundamentals of, okay, now that I see the opportunity, I'm just – I'm going to put this out there and I know I'm going to be successful doing it. Mm-hmm. Not because of who's coming but because you've laid the foundation to create the proper type of business. Mm-hmm. 
how much of you knowing you were going to be successful was relying on the fact that you knew people were going to pick up what you were selling versus your ability as an individual to create something that people wanted? What was the balance? Yeah, I suppose that's a great question. Um, I think I, I, I was aware that it was going to require an awful lot of work, but the motivation and the energy was there to work on it. So that that was... I knew that I was going to invest, uh, I was going to invest myself, all of myself in it and that, that that was not going to be a problem for me. I wasn't sacrificing anything else because it was something that I was absolutely going to live. It was, it was going to be a success because I was going to make it and it was such a challenge. I mean, it was just to create something out of nothing is such an immensely exciting challenge that you, that's what I wanted to lean into. I wasn't afraid of failing and quite often you do you know how you frame failure is really important because when you lean into something inevitably you're going to have multiple moments of failure but the ground never it it never swallows you up the ground is always still there so you just readjust you know, and and how you frame failure is in in any area of your life. You make that sound really so easy. Yeah, you just readjust. It's all good. Well, you know, <laughs> it's to a huge extent, it's in our mind. And do you think that mindset is what allows you to be successful? Um, you know, when you t- you have a creative mind, mm. right? You're a creative individual. Uh, your background shows it. You, the fact that you've now – I just learned you studied anthropology too. Like wh- what have you not studied? There's all <laughs> – the, the background that you have is a creative background, whether it's through dance or whether it's through teaching or whether right. it's through psychology or whether mm. it's through law. You have a creative mindset. Do you need a creative mindset in order to launch a successful business? I think creativity as a form of intelligence is underplayed in the present day education system globally. Um, we we haven't really updated um, the the education system to make way, I suppose, for that form of intelligence. It's not the only one that's underplayed. Analytical intelligence is slightly underplayed as well. Um, and it's, of course, like creativity, visioning, it's a it doesn't matter. Again, it's all about language. So in the corporate sector, that will probably be called developing strategy, you know. So it's, you know, other words are put on the same process. So some people like the word dreaming big and other people will like innovation or developing strategy. So whichever way you look at it, they're really important processes. And um, they're hard work. They're, they're, they're gained skills, like they're critical thinking skills. Um, they're also playfulness, being able to play with information, um, curiosity. Uh, so I suppose mindset is one way. It, it, it's also values driven. So it's, you know, what fundamentally, what are the values that you live by? It can be, it can be driven by that too. So all of that ultimately comes down to you, which I guess would lead into a conversation on just the psychology of change. Mm. Right. Failure is change. Uh, creativity for your business is change. You're talking about changing a company's vision statement every quarter or two quarters mm. to make sure that you're staying on top of, you know, remaining relevant, really. I don't know many people who could probably talk about the psychology of change similar to the way that you can simply because you have changed mm. yourself so much. Talk to me a little bit about this psychology of change. We were just talking before about having an awareness of the change is probably a good first start. Um, 
I, th- I think, you know, not doing anything is change. So fundamentally, you That's change. That's so philosophical. <laughs> my goodness. Wow. <laughs> well, I think that was one of my greatest fears was that, you know, when you're sitting at home and you have ideas and you're procrastinating and you're weighing up risk, um, but you're changing anyway. So when you when you're dreaming about like starting, a, I'm going to be a business owner, or I'm going to or I'm going to start a side venture, or it doesn't even have to be business oriented; it can be life oriented. You know, I'm going to gain a skill, and yet you're still sitting at home, and you you make all these excuses as to why. Well, then you that's you become that person, you become the person. At the same time, you have to have self compassion. You can always get up and just take the first step. It's never too late. And I, I often wonder, you know, when people, let's say, who take time out to mind children and, uh, you know, they, they lack confidence when they're going back into the workplace or they think that they they don't have the skills. You know, really, I, I ask them, what are you talking about? Because firstly, look at what you've learned from dealing with children. Like, what have you learned? You're not the same person. You've, you've learned a number of skills that are highly relevant in the workplace. It's probably matured you. It has slowed you down. You've had to be creative. You've had to get out of your comfort zone. There are lots of things that, you, that you've learned. There are lots of skills that you've developed. What are they? And you need to learn how to capitalize on them. So you have to capitalize on, on them. Right. How do you adjust? How do you create a desire to learn? How do you create a desire to be curious? How do you, how do you create a desire to change whatever it is? Because – Usually when you're taking a look at the mountain of things you have to change or the things that you want to change or to become the person that you want to become, sometimes it's easier to just binge watch a television show and eat a bucket of ice cream. <laughs> that's and it's, okay too. And that's okay too every once in a while. But at the end of six weeks of binge watching a TV show, you're not you're, – you're at the end of binge watching a TV show. Mm. You're not in a different place. And we know as coaches – that the one way to know that you're being successful with change is that you can't go back to the way you were before. How do you create that desire in someone to maybe identify those awareness moments of change and, and focus on that and get excited about the possibility of change? I suppose if I, was, if I wanted anyone to hear something today from me, it would be that one, it's never too late, that sometimes people's inner voices, you know, how they present themselves to the world is not how they feel about themselves inside. And people sometimes think, oh, it's too late or I've gone too far down this road so I can't possibly try something new. And fundamentally, you can. It's just the first step. You're capable. If you've learned, have you learned how to read? Well, then you're capable of learning another skill. It's too late. It's just... This idea that it's too late, is that the wrong mindset as well? Because when you say it's too late... Like the old saying is the best time is always 20 years ago. The second best time is now. Hmm. But is, you know, too late makes it sound like you have a deadline to meet. And is that kind of mindset one of the things preventing people from from finding their change? Is it more, you know, this is a journey to go on and there really is no end, which hmm. sounds a little hippie-ish. Hmm. But is, is too late the type of language that we use um, – that would, you know, that we tell ourselves maybe that, oh, it's too late. You know, too late for what? Exactly. And when you say it's about a journey that you go on, it's in fact, it's actually an internal journey. And we know that neuroscientifically. So let's say you come home every day and, you know, you, you think you're not doing much. Um, you're not 
achieving the, the goals that you really want to achieve and you're procrastinating about them and time goes on and maybe years pass. Well, we form what are called neural pathways in the brain. So it's, it's, it is difficult to override them. And then when you get up in the morning, if the story you've told yourself is, well, I can't change now because I've been doing this for years. So it's just, it's just too late and I can't. And other people have gone far ahead of me. Absolutely not. It is just that your brain has developed this pathway and you can develop a new one for as long as you live. So it doesn't matter what age you are. You know, even when I'm talking to older people, like people in their 70s or 80s or 90s, it doesn't matter. As long as you're mentally agile, your brain is capable of forming new neural pathways. But it's hard work to learn something new, but it's also immensely pleasurable. And it's almost just enjoying the process rather than trying to reach an end date. It's just enjoying the fact that you're learning or changing or evolving. It, I think people, when they when you put pressure on yourself in that manner, you're fundamentally missing the point. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about self-efficacy because I feel like that aligns very closely with this as well. Mm. And we've talked a lot about self-efficacy uh, just amongst ourselves. Right. But so – Having the desire to change is mm-hmm. one thing and mm-hmm. changing, I guess, your mindset or, or you know, the desire to create new neural pathways or to recognize the fact that something is, is capable. When you said before, I knew it was going to be successful, mm-hmm. that sounds like self-efficacy in, in its ultimate form. Right. Tell me more and tell, well, tell everybody about self-efficacy and, and how that would evolve into entrepreneurship and managing change. Mm. We also talk about, let's say, people who have hidden potential in the workplace. And I think what what I've learned from teaching children is that um, people, how do I put this? Children don't do nothing, if that makes sense. It's a double negative. But when you observe children in school, let's say they don't like uh, studying maths. and But if you look down, they may be doodling or they'll they'll be creating art, or they'll be reading a book under the table. So people always do something with their time. It's just that we don't don't realise ourselves that we're gaining other skills, even when even if you if if you feel dissatisfied in the work you're doing or the skill that you're gaining in, in work, you're actually probably still doing something else. And you're so it's 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 about trying where, what was the question again? <laughs> <laughs> it's a good evolution, though, is the fact that you're right. This it's, is what always happens. It, it's, okay. It's, we're we're just me, chatting. It's good. It's, so when you I, – I make the reference all the time, you know, as people sit and commute to the city mm-hmm. or to work or whatever, sit on the bus, sit on the train, do whatever. Um, they're playing like a video game on their phone mm. or they're scrolling through Instagram, right? They're doing something. We're never – not doing something, mm. right? Uh, double negative. But the question is, how do you replace that with something that could be valuable? Right. And in terms of self-efficacy. Oh yes, that's right. Yes. There we go. Okay. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> is how do you how do you see that vision, or how do you create that vision of something that you want to do? I'm, I suppose. First, to explain to people self-efficacy, it's um, a construct that we use in psychology to um, explain and measure um, somebody's belief in themselves to be able to accomplish something. So that's it in its simplest form. And um, there are ways and means of increasing um, self-belief. We do it through um, mastery, so practice of the thing. 
um, we do it through watching other period, other people do it. So it's about, it could possibly be about finding mentors. And that's been fundamentally very important to me. Um, even when I haven't been able to find mentors in my immediate environment, I find them in literature, I find them in history, um, and I, I cling to them. I really, they're really, really important to me when I have to make frightening decisions or where, when I have to develop courage in order to move forward with something where there's risk involved. How do you build self-efficacy? Because I, when you're, you're looking at, you, you've got it in you, right? Mm. You could just see it. You know, oh, I'm a teacher today. Tomorrow I want to be a coach. And then mm-hmm. the next day I want to be uh, – uh, I want a new tourism company. And then tomorrow I want to be – the day after that I'm going to be um, – I don't know. I'll go become – you know, I'll launch a baseball team. Who knows? You just go nice. and you do it. You believe in your capability of doing it. Mm-hmm. Most people don't have that. Where does that come from and how do you nurture that and how do you start to plant that seed – in order to have the desire to try new things and, and test new things? Um, yeah, it's a very good question. And um, I think it's about allowing yourself, again, it comes down to allowing yourself to fail. So it's not that I don't feel fear um, or overwhelmed at times, I do. Um, and quite often, it, for me, it's I have to say to myself, it's just about taking the next step. And then you don't need to worry about anything else after that, just take the next step. So sometimes I don't, when people ask me, you know, uh, what's your five-year plan? I don't have one. I don't have a five-year plan because I, I'm, this is, this is continuously unfolding for me. I have a vision and I want to fulfill the vision, but the, the unfolding of it, you, you have to be able to take information as it comes at you as well as building whatever skill it is that you want to build. Like, I was, let's say I was on a TV set last week and um, somebody told me that uh, one of the actors who had gotten a rather big part, they had tried to get a part 11 times. 11 times they'd auditioned for that part. So I really, you know, I went away and I thought, wow, that's incredible persistence. And, you know, to have not, you didn't get it the first time. And then, you know, you know, what went through their mind and then they have to go back another time, 11 times to go back. Which is when we think about business and we think about creating everything, you put together your business plan, right? Mm -hmm. And everything is planned out for the next five years, but it really becomes irrelevant. Do you feel like planning is a necessary exercise or do you just spend more time on the why of what you're doing, why you're doing your vision and, and all of that? Because when we think about how we evolve, and I always tell people, you, know, you put together your business plan, your business is going to look nothing like what you thought it was going to look like in three to five years. It's just no way. It just doesn't work that way. Is vision where you need to focus and understanding, especially is to help you manage change and adapt to change, is step back from planning so much mm-hmm. and just – tune into whatever your North Star is or find what your vision is in terms of what's what's the bigger picture? Um, well, as a coach, I have a vested interest in your well-being. So, you know, well-being measures, one of the fundamental measures of well-being in life is having meaning and purpose. So if, if you must have your, you must have a why. That's fundamental. The, the why, why, why are you doing this? Because this is your life, you know, <laughs> on a serious note, this is this is actually your life. So, you know, in, enjoying it is, in, is terribly important. Enjoying the process is extremely important, too. 
and getting up and, you know, what is it that you, you, it doesn't have to be a big goal. It can be a small goal. And in fact, it's fascinating to watch people who, who, who to other people, they may be doing something very small. Their job may be very small, but they do it with impeccable skill and timing and integrity. So they get incredible meaning and purpose out of what they're doing. So their level of happiness is much is much higher possibly than another person's. So your why is very important. And then after that, of course, planning and how you plan depends on your temperament and personality. And so you're just going to have to adapt to the way that you particularly are. Because mm-hmm. I see when with a and lot that's of... Okay. And that's okay. Right, yeah, right. Go. A lot of people try to give you these silver bullets, say, this is how you do everything. But it doesn't quite work because it works for them and not necessarily somebody else. So I guess everybody listening will just have to put the work in to say, where is my, my macro view on where I fit into everything? And then what's actually relevant for me mm, within that right. kind of bigger picture? I think, you know, a good coaching psychologist will help draw that out of you, you know, um, because they understand all the psychology and they're able to help you clarify these things um, while a, a, the opposite is somebody who will tell you that they know everything yeah. and they don't because fundamentally every human being is very complex. Very complex. I was trying to they think are. about a joke it's about true. how much I knew and then I, <laughs> I didn't come up with it at all. Um, <laughs> what advice do you – so you've launched businesses. You've, you've mm-hmm. done all this stuff. You coach businesses. You coach business people. Um, you have an educational background. You have, you know, all this stuff. I keep saying it, but you've you've got a very interesting and storied background. What advice do you have for people listening on the future and going forward? Uh, nothing is, I suppose, nothing is planned in the same way as it was for our parents' generation. So before, you know, everything looked established and you went into a, a particular job and you could possibly be there for life. Um now we need new skills in order to negotiate what is effectively uncertainty. And those skills are quite often their their inner resources. So critical thinking is very important. Self-compassion is very important. So having a sense of playfulness is really important about um, when, when it comes to how you learn, how you work. Um, balance is an overrated word, but the only way we find balance is usually by stepping over boundary. You know, so it's about being very aware when you step over a boundary, whether it's with your health and you realize, oh, I'm getting more headaches. I'm taking more tablets. That's in- so <laughs> tell me more about I, that's an interesting way to put it. How is more balance coming from stepping over boundaries? I think in, in, in today's world, it, it no matter how disciplined you are, um, it's because of the level of uncertainty that we live in and the level of change and the pace of change so fast um, that the only way that we figure these things out is usually when something slightly breaks. So whether that be your health or you're not spending, suddenly you realise you haven't spent any time with your family or that you're um, you're putting all your eggs into one basket, possibly just, you know, that your only goal is that you're going to make X amount of money. And unfortunately, as you know, from psychology, we also know that there's something called hedonic adaptation. So once you get something, you adapt to it very quickly and then you go down again to a base level of of satisfaction or happiness. So a lot of these boundary a lot of this, it sounds like it's boundary breaking is really just perspective. It's almost like a smack of perspective. Absolutely. Yeah. That's true. Yes. Yeah. But it's it's being aware. You have to be some people aren't aware, you know. And Too many up, people are not aware, well, Catherine. I mean they end up <laughs> they end up having a heart attack. 
You know, they don't even in their physical body, you don't realize how you're feeling. And um, and so it's about, you know, checking in with yourself. Even, you know, I often ask the question when I'm coaching, tell me, what did you see on the work on, on your way to work today? You know, what? You know, because that's your time. So what did you enjoy? And quite often people are so lost in their own thoughts or, you know, they, they've, they've, they're overworking their brains. They're not in their bodies. Um, they're not they're not doing all the things that create a meaningful life. Right. They're not present. Right. Right. That's great. Um, anything to leave everyone with? I know we're going to ask for a book recommendation in a second. Okay. And when I asked you for your book recommendation before we started, you're like, oh, I've got trillions of books. I can recommend anything. It depends on where the conversation goes. What's your book recommendation for today? Um, I suppose the book re- recommendation would be a book that had um, a huge impact on my life in terms of developing perspective and understanding that, um, you know, when you, if you, if you're worried about fairness in life, you know, sometimes some things just aren't fair. That's that's just the way life is. And you've got to get up and you've got to keep on going with your with whatever your vision is. And uh, that would be a book called The Unbearable Lightness of Being by Milan Kundera. That's on my bookshelf. I haven't read it yet. That's just but it's amazing. Good. Okay. I read it when I was 17. Yeah. Good. Mm. All right. Maybe I'll... I'll pick that up this week off the shelf and I'll do it. I, I've got a stack of books that Catherine recommends to me and they're all just piling up on my kitchen table. My wife's going to kill me. You know, I'm like, don't move them. i got to read them. Um, great. Anything else for everybody about you? We're going to link obviously to everything for Catherine on the website, but tell anyone how they want to reach you and, and all that. As if anybody wants to come for private coaching or team coaching or company coaching, they can find us together at Bellwether Hub. Um, and they can also look me up on LinkedIn. Um, for anybody who's coming to Ireland for either coaching or tourism reasons, they can find me again on LinkedIn. And if I if I'm to to um, leave this conversation, I with one thing, it would be a, a message to um, all the children that I've ever taught that I believe in you, and if they're listening to this podcast, that they are the future, and if they ever need me, they know where to find me. That's very nice. That's really important to me. That's great. And it's. Uh, I feel like most people, w- whether or not they feel it or don't, a lot of people don't always communicate that. And it's nice to hear something like that. So um, hello to Catherine's students. Thanks. That'd be great. Thank you so much, Jim. <laughs> and thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, I know that this is very beneficial to a lot of people. Uh, I know I get a lot out of all my conversations with Catherine. Uh, and you'll get a lot of a lot out of it as well. Definitely look her up. Uh, she's got an amazing story. Uh, everything is on bellwetherhub.com. I will link to all of that stuff and also hop on to Bellwether Hub to check out all of the upcoming events that we have going on and then other uh, other just great, fascinating information that, that we have out there. So, Catherine, thank you so much for being a guest today. Thank I greatly so much, appreciate Jim. it. And thanks for listening. Thank you so much for listening. Now, do something for yourself. Bellwether is much more than just a podcast. Join us at bellwetherhub.com, where you can read riveting articles, view upcoming events, and connect with other interesting people. I look forward to seeing you out there soon. 